I'm getting closer to the facts I've turned my back on silly dreams I'm walking down that lonely road And my heavy load I didn't bother to bring it When the sun shines down on me I feel like I deserve it in peace, Daniel Johnston, Eddie Money, and Rick Ocasek. Just a few blocks away from Box Cab Co. in the Bayview neighborhood of San Francisco, I'm Schmitty, and this is Talkin' Schmidt. Today on the show is the legendary Carl Watson. Carl grew up skating in San Francisco, and he was one of the first riders on Think Skateboards and had an early presence throughout the EMB era. Carl has been on a few companies throughout the years and today is part owner of the skateboard brand Max Allure. This past year, he came out with a children's book entitled My First Skateboard and was blown away by the industry support. I did not think I was going to get the support from the core that I did. Like, because, you know, the main characters have helmets. You know, it's a kid's book. You know? Like, I didn't think, like, quote-unquote, real skaters yeah. were going to appreciate it. But I got the appreciation from everybody, you know, all walks of life. Also, I really need to give a big shout-out to yet another skate shop, carrying the Schmidt. This time, it's Atlas Skate Shop in San Mateo, California. Shout out. And listen to this. Starting right now, the first person to buy a Talkin' Schmidt t-shirt from Atlas will win a free set of wheels. Head over to 209 2nd Avenue in Tim McKinney's hometown of San Mateo and tell them we sent ya. That's a free set of wheels to the first shirt purchase. Well... This is episode 38, and you guys are in for a treat. This is Carl Watson, and you're listening to Talkin' Schmidt. Here we go again. It's cool, like tonight is the night. Just give it the old college try, right? Uh, big dogs in. What do you think, Schmidt? 96 times, Schmidt. Thanks, Schmidt. We on? 
Actually, let's hear it from my next guest. We got a legend in the car right here. Carl Stephen Watson. What? Where'd you get that from? Mad Circle video. I recognize the sound of it. <laughs> How you doing? Doing great, man. Thanks Good. for having me on the show. Fucks. It's an honor. When I started this podcast journey, I only dreamed that I would have someone like you on. I'm what? <laughs> for real. Hyped. Come on, man. Oh. <laughs> Everybody's about to just get super stoked right now because uh, we're going to go through the history books a little bit. Okay. I'm excited. Let's get uh, it. Where were you born? I was born in Oakland, California. 1976, September 22nd at Kaiser. At Kaiser. I was born Kaiser Redwood City. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, where did you grow up? I was raised in Oakland until I was nine. Then uh, we moved to the city, and that's when I was introduced to skateboarding, the world of skateboarding. And how'd that happen? Uh, just um, being immersed in, uh, in, in a different culture, because back then Oakland was totally different than the city. We came to the city, and it was so free so many different types of people and uh yeah skateboarding just like was a part of the, the the atmosphere here you know seeing people skate down the street and scare my mom was pretty funny so that's what kind of got me into it like the loud sounds and uh the first time i saw somebody ollie up a curb was was pretty eye-opening to me the fact that you, that you can bring the board up without grabbing it with your hands was uh it stoked me out do you remember what your first skateboard was yeah, you know, I had a, uh, I had a Zorilac. It was a, a Zorilac green with white grip tape with OJ wheels and white tracker trucks. Was it like a John Gibson or something? Craig Johnson? I forgot the name. I was so stoked on it. I would like sleep with it. I would like every, t- I would like study every single mark that I, that I made, you know, throughout the day, which was not much cause I couldn't ollie yet, yeah. you know? So yeah, it was, uh, I cherished that board. Rad. Who were the homies right there that you started skating with, like, at an early age? An early age. Like, um, was it your neighbors or? It was, like, early on I skated with um, Nick Lockman. It, it was all him. Like, my mother, we lived in uh, on Scott and Golden Gate in the city. Uh-huh. Then we, mo- we moved over to, um, like, near Stangian, like, right by Golden Gate Park. Yep. Kind of a better area because, you know, I was hanging out with some, some roughnecks and you know, they, they were getting caught up in some stuff, like stealing cars and selling drugs. So my mom, my mom was like, we're out of here. We're moving to a better area. So we moved by the park and I would use my skateboard to skate back to the old neighborhood. And uh, one day in between, I, I saw Nick Lockman and he was like chilling in, in the window, bored. His dad was like standing behind him. He's like, hey, have that kid come in. See if he wants to if he wants to hang out. So Nick was like, hey, do you want to do you want to come in? I looked at him and I was I was like, sure, yeah. Then once I entered his house and his room, I realized that he had been a skater for a long time. He had tons of old boards around. He had all the skate videos, all the magazines, wow, all the clothes, the Jimmy Z's. He had, you know, he was a full full blown skater. How old were you around? Twelve. I was eleven and he was eight. Oh. And uh, the trippy thing is, is uh, a year before that. Nick and I met under different circumstances. Oh. So I was hanging out with that, that, that group of guys. We we're on our bikes, and I was just kind of like there, you know, not doing much. But 
the guys from my neighborhood were very aggressive. And uh, so, you know, we had like a group of nine guys riding around the streets. And, you know, they would always just heckle people and some dudes were breaking the cars. And I just kind of, you know, hung with them. You know, I didn't do much. I didn't say much. I just was there. So then one day I saw Nick and his friend. And I was 10 and he was seven. And I was with this group of group of guys and they were skating a lawn tramp right in front of Nick's house. And uh, we were like, you know, kind of intrigued, like watching Then Nick, he fell pretty hard. And I, you know, I was like a little prick at the time. And, you know, I was uh, small for the group of guys that I was hanging out with and a little a little younger. So I was like, oh, this is easy pickings. So I started laughing at him. <laughs> I started laughing at him. And uh, lo and behold, man, this little kid, you know, he grabbed his board and started approaching me like he was about to beat my ass with it. Oh. So he came he came up to me with the board and and I was like, "Oh no, this kid's about to beat me up and I'm going to be embarrassed in front of my friends cuz I, I I didn't know how to fight. I didn't want to fight him, but I, you know, I ticked the, I ticked the little Nick off. Yeah. So Nick was, you know, he grew up in the hood, so he was, you know, he may have been may have been small and white, but he was still like tough, you know, in a, in a certain way. Wow. You know? And so um He's approaching me. Then his dad runs out and, and stops it. Thank God. I, I, I remember going to bed that night like, oh, thank, <laughs> thank you, Dad, for stopping that because I would have been so embarrassed. Uh-huh. Like this little short kid kicking my ass. Oh, man. You know? So then that's why his dad, he, he recognized me a year later. Okay. And that's why he was like, okay, this kid has a skateboard now. He's alone. Let's, uh, let's reconcile the situation. Let's see, you know, if you guys can be friends. And from that moment on, it, it changed the course of my life till this day. Yeah. I mean, yeah. as people will learn that he's been in a lot of stages of your life, including the current one. Oh, yeah. yeah. Dude, it's insane. It's oh. insane. And, and I attribute it all to Nick and that, that monumental moment that changed, changed my life forever. Rad. You know? And was your first sponsor, Think? My first sponsor was Dogtown. Oh. 1989. Me, Nick, and Sam were the the AMs on that. So then, once that went out of business for the time, was that when Dogtown was in SF? It was. Yeah. Okay. So Red Dog was doing it. Yeah. With Keith, Keith Cochran. Yep. And they were like, you know, let's just put these kids on kids on this new company. Think and Think came about because uh, they were going to call the company Move at first. Uh huh. M O V E. And uh, Nick was like, ah, that name's kind of lame. And he's only eight, nine years old at the time. <laughs> so he's the one that came up with the name Think. He came up with the logo, the light bulb. He had it all dialed down and gave it to him. And they're like, we're, we're going to run with this. That's amazing. That, I mean, that, that, that company lasted for years, you know, yeah. I think a couple decades. Right. So, yeah, he, he was a visionary, you know, still is, still is. Damn, that's amazing. So you you were on Dogtown and then you guys went to Think and started Think together with Sam, right, or no? I think Sam was on. No, I don't know if Sam was on Dogtown. It might have been just Nick and I. But Sam oh, went whoa. to Think, right? Yeah, yeah. Sam did go to Think, but he was on briefly. Okay. Yeah, but Sam was on Dogtown. Yeah, I got the, the company's reverse. Right. So it was me, Nick, and Sam early on. Then Shamandoli, when we went on Think, he got on Think as well. And, and Nick Diamond, right? Yeah, he did get on Think. He yeah. did. But he was like an older guy, you know, tranny dude. That was later? Yeah, that was later. Okay. Uh, we were like the little little groms of, of, of the group. At that time, was Embarcadero going yet? or? You know, it definitely was going at that time. I remember the first time Sam and, and uh, Nick decided to bring me down. They had to like, you know, they kind of vetted me for a while. They, they waited, you know, until I was ready. And it was a good year of hanging out with them before they brought me to EMB. 
Really? Like I had to learn how to ollie first. I had to like, you know, learn how to like learn the flow of a skate a, a skate spot uh-huh. a little bit. So the first time I went there, I was so excited. I saw the stage. I, I had heard about it. I saw footage, and uh, I tried my I tried an ollie like freaking melon or indie grab off the stage. End up doing a nose dive and ended up <laughs> on the ground just like in pain. Then Kelch he walked over picked me up by my collar, walked me over to the wave and sat me down. He's like, you'll be good little homie. And that was it. Like, that was like, you know, I was accepted from that point on. Wow. Because I showed, I showed heart, you know, and then Kelch verified that I was, I was brought in by Nick and Sam, but you know, like everybody didn't get in. Yeah. You know, it didn't matter how good you were. It just, it mattered like, you know, how you carried yourself. Right, who you were connected to, or how Luckily, you like didn't stare after you yes. landed a trick. Oh my or, god! If you beamed, yeah, you know, you're out. You're done. You're done. <laughs> yeah, you know, you had to act very stoic when when you land your tricks. Like you didn't you didn't care at all. Let's talk about those EMB days. Who were the main dudes when you started skating there? Obviously, uh, James was like the enforcer or whatever, right? And yeah, you know, the, around that time it was Shelby Woods. Oh, it yeah. was um, Rick Abiceta. Of course, um, James Kelch, the THK crew, like Ryan and um, Thorne, those guys. Uh, Pierre was was a big figure there. Let's see who else. Danny Sargent would skate there around that oh, time, wow. too. And I don't know if people remember, but that Slappy on the on the middle stage he did back in the day was, till this day, is still mind-blowing to me. <laughs> yeah. Just can't believe that. So much rad shit happened there. Henry, too? Henry, for yeah. sure. Henry, Carol. I mean, they're they're the ones that innovated you know they really pushed skating to to where it is today once you got introduced to the spot did it become a fixture in your life were you there a lot so once i started going to emb that was it you know i found my my family i found my friends i found my community it was a blessing you know like to be accepted by that that crew to to progress at emb there are so many things to skate the stairs the ledges the curbs the the wave there was a you know a lot of amazing individuals that hung out there, you know, and uh, it's funny because sometimes people they say like, man, you were so cool to me back in the day, like when you when I came to EMB, it's like sometimes I would see people like on the on the on the fringes of the spot, like scared to come in, and I, I would notice that, I would go up to them and like act like they were my homies, just so nobody would fuck with them. Uh, like, hey guys, just come with me, like yeah, act like you, know you knew me. the deal. Like yeah, yeah, you know, so. But I, w- I was still, I, w- I was a little prick, though, back then. You know, I like to spit spitballs at people. I like to gleek on people. Mesa you know? told me that one. He was like, dude, that fool used to always spit the spitballs. Oh, man. I just like to get a rise out of folks, you know. But at the same time, I was very empathetic. And I did not like, like, when I saw somebody feel out of place or uncomfortable at, at the skate spot. Like, that's not what I gained from skating. And that's not, like, I always saw skating as a family. And so... If I saw somebody that felt left out of the family, like I would always invite them in, no matter their skill level, no, no matter like their color, punk rock skater, rap skater, whatever it was back then. Yeah. I, I considered myself, and I wasn't like self-proclaimed, but it was like I felt like the, um, what's the term, um, a diplomat to skating. Okay. I felt like a diplomat to skateboarding because I was able to like talk to anybody and, you know, I just, I felt connected to every skater no matter what. How did you feel? I mean, obviously you saw some boards get ganked and some people get beat up or how did that feel as feeling like a diplomat? It was a lot of mixed feelings because uh, sometimes I would just kind of turn the other way because I knew it was, you know, the person that is doing it needed 
needed the money or uh-huh. they, they, yeah, they pretty much needed the money, you know, or I would just, uh, go up and be like, Hey, that's my homie. Like if I saw it going down before it had already been done, right. Be like, Hey, that's my homie. Like, Hey, leave him alone. Leave him alone. But I, I, I definitely knew my place and I knew when to step in and when not to step in. And it wasn't like all the time, but it happened for uh-huh. sure. You know, <sighs> like more so it was people getting, um, cooked out of there like cook get the fuck out of here man you yeah know, just vibe more than, yeah like if you weren't if you didn't have the right vibe nobody wanted you around right you know what i mean this might be a tough question but there's so much shit that's gone down there besides danny's uh thing what else sticks out as like like i'm sure you were on some of those lavar sessions or like mike and henry like what, anything that's like dude this day blew my mind henry sanchez Every single time he stepped on a board at EMB, he created a new trick. Mike Carroll, same thing. Javante Turner watching him skate when I was younger was incredible. Uh, Danny Way, one day, he showed up there in the morning time <laughs> with the H Street guys. He was skating the seven, fucking killing it, back three, whatever, doing anything he wanted. And then out of nowhere, he broke his wrist. And I was like, hey, I'm from the city. I know where the hospitals are at. So I brought him over to Kaiser, not General Hospital. You know, I didn't know anything about insurance or anything like that. Brought him to Kaiser. He gave them a fake social and got his arm fixed for free. That rules. <laughs> I was like, man. And he was unfazed, man. He was ready to, you know, cast it up, ready to skate again. Yeah. You know, he had, he had a certain energy that I had never seen at that point. Uh-huh. His drive, his ambition, his... uh. His vigor, he just had so much energy, and he was ready to fucking go. That guy, you know, now he's, you know, fucking uber legend. <laughs> yeah. You know? Him and Cardiel have those eyes of just, oh. like, they they look right through you, like, Absolutely. I'm getting it. Cardiel has the same thing. Yeah. It's same, very similar. That's sick. It's just something you're born with, you know? Yeah. And your parents have to, like, really, like, feed it. Were you there um, when Jamie Thomas came to town? I was. He was like, li- he he would sleep there and stuff sometimes, right? Yeah, it was at a weird time. Uh-huh. At, at EMB, it was. He came in really strong, super talented. You know, I think he didn't show like the right people the right amount of respect, and he was older, so he had to. You know, it was just hard for him to assimilate, right? Because he was already so good. Yeah. You know, he didn't care. He didn't care what people thought about him. Mm-hmm. He just fucking came and did his thing and. You know, he didn't have to kiss anybody's butt. But then, you know, of course, all the stuff that happened down the road was pretty catastrophic. You know, Tommy, he was always my favorite skater. And, like, it took a while for me to even, like, give him any respect after, like, that situation. Mm. Damn. But, you know, it takes two to tango. Yeah. But I I was really bummed and really emotionally hurt by that situation because I, I could imagine how Tommy must have felt at that time. And he was, like, my, and still is, like, my the epitome of skateboarding you know he was the first pro street skater ever he's from sf yeah i lived in his old apartment after him i would get packages with his name on it (laughs) and i remember the first day we came to that apartment 234b divisa daryl street it was a basement apartment i walked in there with my mom i walked into my room and the, the only thing in the whole entire apartment was that little drum with the 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 string and the little balls at the end and you, you know you, you, you wiggle it in between your hands and it, you know he goes back and forth and hits the hits the drum that was the only thing that was in the apartment and that was the same one that was from animal chin animal chin no and way and I, I remember sitting there or standing there holding it in my hand it, it was wrapped it had two thrasher stickers wrapped around it blue uh-huh. and white 
And I just started doing it like that in my hand. I was like, one day I'm going to be a pro skater. I felt it. It wasn't something like I was like, I'm going to be a fucking pro skater. It's so sick. I'm going to be rich. Uh-huh. It was like, no. It was the spirits, the skate gods telling me like, yeah, Here, this is your path. And I, I was a horrible skater at that time. I mean, I was, I sucked, you know, and I, I had no reason to think I was gonna ever, ever going to be a pro. <laughs> but that's uh, my experience, you know, two, two, 234B, you feel me? Dude, <laughs> that rules. Looking up to Tommy. I mean, we all did. Like anyone oh, yeah. that grew up in the Bay Area, Tommy like led the, the way for sure. And then you lived in his apartment after. Right after him. And the that's one thing incredible. that sucks, it was like uh, end of the 80s into the early 90s. And that's when like Rip Grip was unpopular. We stopped using Rip Grip because we started doing no slides. Oh, yeah. But before you would put it under your, you know, your, your board and so you can grab it on top of your grip tape. Yep. So I would get all these packages of Rip Grip and just cherish it, but never could use it because skating was changing right. at that point. So, yeah, I mean, I was st- super stoked to get it. But, yeah, I guess he never uh, updated his address for his, his, his rip grip. Damn. He had no use for it himself. They're still sending it there. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> did you ever skate Studio 43? I did, man. Really? The uber legend Bryce Knights, bro. Yeah. That's where I met, um, I met Tony Vitello. It was one night, a little skate session. And uh, Fausto, of course, he brought him everywhere. Fausto, uh, you know, nothing but love for that man. Right. Without him, street skating wouldn't be what it is. Straight up and down. I, I, you know, he kept skating alive when it was dying out in the 80s. Mm. You know, he had so much love for it. He really, like him and uh, a number of people, but, you know, he had the publication that really kept it alive. Right. And honestly, we got, you know, skating, we should just, it, should, it should always just be an ode to Fausto, modern day skating. So, but like he brought. That that night, man, he brought uh it was like yeah, it was like six PM to like ten or something like that, like four hour session it went into the night. Uh-huh. Tony was there, he was like twelve years old at the time, little kid. And no, maybe even younger. And so I pay, I paid attention to him the whole night. He, we skated and we hung out. And then a few months later, I saw Fausto at Think and he was like, Hey He's like, Yeah you're the you're the guy that got my kid into skating and i was like wait what do you, what do you mean i was like you, you you're foster like you you run skateboarding uh-huh. he's like yeah you you hung out with him man you you got my kid you got my kid into skating and i was he's like yeah you he's like you'll always be taken care of he said that to me and wow. i was like fuck like he was he wasn't joking either man he was very genuine and uh, i i didn't really understand what he what he was talking about but yeah i guess like i hung out with tony and tony like gained interest in skating after we spent time together brad you know i ha- I don't know if tony has any recollection of that but definitely uh i do you know oh yeah the boss coming up to you saying that the guy that never really you know if he spoke to you you listened definitely because he you know he was he was just so powerful you know so i was like he was speaking to me in a happy way i was like yeah look check this out homies <laughs> yeah that's so sick no i bet i bet tony does have that in mind would you skate the mini ramp and stuff, or what, what? What was in there? A mini ramp and a vert ramp, right? Yeah, but the mini ramp was like a vert a vert ramp to me at the time. So I would like I never dropped in, but I would pump up to the top. And I think the the best trick I ever got on that was a rock to fakie. Oh, okay. And that's it. Hell yeah! Did you guys did you skate the casting ponds at all like back then? 
You know, in the ones in Golden Gate Park, right? Yeah. Not much, uh-huh. but I don't know why that spot is amazing. Yeah, yeah, that spot is amazing. But we did skate a lot of spots around the city, aside from EMB. Were you were you skating during the Concrete Jungle era, or was it after that? Ah, that's funny you say that. Concrete Jungle, man. That's I think that's I brought my my old board there and got an I got an Alva. Uh-huh. And they're like, what the hell is this? Like, it was like, you know, I, I, I guess they didn't really mess with Zorlak at that point. Yeah. So they're like, here, here's an Alpha board. Like, so they, they, I didn't even have to pick my board out. They picked it out for me. Yeah, Jake and Tommy worked there. Oh, Tommy worked there? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. I knew Jake did. Yeah. But it was, uh, yeah, Concrete Jungle. I, I remember remember where it was. It was on Schrader, right? Like a yeah. few doors down where the old FTC is. Yeah, be like right. I think one's on Waller and the other's on Schrader, I believe. Concrete Jungle or FTC? I think FTC was on Schrader. Yeah. And I think uh, oh, Concrete Jungle was on, was on Waller, Waller okay. like right around the corner. Okay. Yeah, you're right. It was. Yeah. Like behind yeah. Amoeba kind of. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Dude. Those are the days, huh? Yeah, right? Like. Um, what a great name for a skate shop, too. Concrete Jungle. <laughs> and they were as core as you can get. Yeah. I mean, now they were gnarly. The singer from MDC ran it. Oh. So then after Think, you went to Mad Circle? After Think, I went to, let's see, I went to World. Oh. World Industries for a little bit. Okay, let me think about this. No, I went to Newdale after Think. Uh-huh. I rode for Newdale for about a year. Then I quit Newdale to get back onto Think. Then after Think, I rode for World Industries. Oh, okay. Yeah, so then the list goes on and on. <laughs> when did you meet Chico at EMB? I met Chico at Jack's Ramp. Uh, I was 13, and there was some footage that, that I posted recently that he uh, he pulled out the crates of he and I skating jack strap together. Rad. And, yeah, little little guy. We both had helmets on and fully padded. Where was that ramp? That was up in, like, Trail Hill area, like, um, on the on the east side of Bernal Hill. Like in a little park or in a dead end or something? Yeah, kind of like a dead end. Tommy had a yeah. front side air like an Indiana, yes. right? Yeah, yeah. and there's a not, it was nice like a, view. It was stuff. like a BMX ramp? No, it was, a, it was a skate ramp. Oh, okay. But I could be mistaken. Yeah. I was so young. Okay. Fuck. It and was awesome. That's though. where you met Chico. That's where I met Chico. That's insane. Super stoked. Where'd Epic you meet day. Chico? At a ramp. At a ramp. <laughs> ramp session. He was doing flat ground tricks on the flat bottom. Oh, he was always <laughs> such a gnarly tranny skater too. Like yeah. Super smooth and yeah. Chico kept to himself. He was. He definitely had that vibe. Like he he wasn't one to be fucked with. Right. You know his energy was. He kind of demanded instant respect. Like, you going to EMB, like, nobody would mess, mess with him because he, like, just kept to himself and he was very serious. Mm-hmm. And then he had skills. So there's really no reason to mess with him. You know, he wasn't, like, trying to get people's attention. He was just, he was him. Right. Kind of like a very just solid dude, how he is today, you know. Uh-huh. Very solid guy. Right around that time is kind of FTC forming. Those early days of FTC, like the video, uh, what was it, penal code and that kind of stuff. So um, FTC started out as a, was it a ski shop or something like that? Oh, was, I'm not sure. So it was on golf, Bush and Golf, somewhere in that area. Uh-huh. It's like about, it was about two blocks south of where the Whole Foods is on California and Golf right now. Okay. And it was, it started off as like a ski shop. It was um, Lloyd's, Kent's father's store. Kent left, went to college, came back. He saw how skating was growing. He's like, you know, I skate. Let's that. Can we have a little section in our shop? So then, yeah, they they started having like boards in the corner, and then skateboards took over the whole shop. Wow, took over. That's amazing. 
did you film a Mesa and stuff? Oh yeah, yeah, I filmed a Mesa like for it, I think it was Penal Code, uh-huh. and that was a fun video because that was the first time we felt we filmed like B-roll and like lifestyle stuff. Yeah, and it was like it it, it was very impactful. People reacted to it well. It was done right. The soundtrack and, was epic. Yeah, all the slow mo and just everything about it was really good. And, and it was so SF, like with the trolley cars and stuff. Oh. Like that that video. I know Mesa well, but I always say, man, that video was maybe the best one, impactful wise for me. That he that he's he's done so many things, but that was a really good video for that time. Yeah, you know, a lot of people bring that one up. Yeah, when they talk to me, you know. Yeah. So I think it it was very impactful for a lot of folks. Yeah, and it's just like he was using music for the first time to bring like those classic oldies kind of mm. and just mixing it with Super 8 and all that stuff was like, whoa. Like it just was, he nailed it. Good. What about Huff's part? Yeah. Woo-wee, that yeah. song was banging. The skating <laughs> was so good. So different for what, from what we, we uh we knew in SF, you know, right. very raw, very East Coast, very mm. straight to the point. I mean, I'm not going to try a trick for a million, million hours. I'm just going to fly around some stuff and do some big alleys yeah. and look good on my board. And that was a unique approach for back then, especially EMB. We're always trying to like progress, mm-hmm. you know, and be technical and learn new, new tricks and just, you know, enter. It was like a nebula for skateboarding. It was every day there was something, a new star, a new trick being born. Yeah. What's like the gnarliest slam you've taken over all the years? Have you Sheesh. broken any bones or anything? Definitely broke some bones, but the the worst slam that I ever had was in Spain. We went to um we went to Mallorca Island mm-hmm. and we stayed there for like a week and uh there was this there's this plaza there with like a little mini hubba. There's a pretty tall shootout ledge. Yeah. And it was our last day. I was there with Joe Brooke and uh some other guys. Paul Shire was there too. I was trying to front nose on the on the outledge and we we're going to be flying out that night back to Barcelona and I was you know I was determined I had been trying for about an hour and it started getting dark and I'm like fuck I got to get this like I've already you know already stuck it it was about a 10 stair from my memory if it serves me well it was about a 10 stair shootout ledge so huh. pretty high and so on one of the tries I clipped going up and I just ended up falling to my side right then there's a ledge right directly at the bottom and i i like hit my leg on the ledge and it propelled me straight to my head chipped my tooth my tooth went through my lip (sighs) i got a gnarly scar in my eye and i was knocked out cold and it's weird because in the footage i don't look like i'm knocked out i'm just i'm like there Uh like but like a zombie but i i was gone until like we were heading to the hospital like in the car so it, it felt like maybe like 20 minutes but then I, when I came back, I was like, I went to a different galaxy. Whoa. I literally went I went to a different place. Like, that's how hard it hit my head. Fuck. And that was, you know, that was a brutal one because, you know, head trauma is yeah. nothing to mess with. And Did you have headaches for a while afterwards? No headaches, but I did end up, you know, years later, they found like a tumor above my pineal gland. And they, they said it's from, it was from probably most likely like a really bad head injury that you had early on. Oh, so it might have been related to that. It might have been related to that. Wow. You know, so pretty fucking gnarly, though, man. That was. Yeah, that's heavy. How can you, can we talk a little bit? Yeah, about yeah, that for sure. For sure. Like, what was the process in dealing with that? So um, 
it was 2010 Tampa Pro. I was right about to take my run, and it was practice. And, you know, I was just, you know, feeling good, feeling confident out there, going up to the wall, about to do a pivot to fakie. And fucking, it's so random that now I, I work with them. So Pete Eldridge, his board, like, shot out and hit me in the face super hard. And it, like, it just messed me up, you know. So I went to the hospital, got a CAT scan. They wanted to see if they, if my skull was broken. Mm. It was fractured in three places. And now you can start, yeah, I can, I can see, like, where it's fractured. Like, sometimes if I don't have enough water, you can really tell oh. how my face is, like, kind of distorted. <laughs> it's pretty funny, actually, because oh. I'm, I'm just happy that I survived it, you yeah. know? And uh, and it's weird because I, I lost feeling from my, the left side of my, my face, like, from my nose to the, my chin for six months because of it. It was pretty gnarly. But, yeah, when I got the CAT scan, they... They found um, a small tumor on my pineal gland, and I came back, did all the tests, you know, did all the, um, you know, the MRIs, the ink in the blood, and they finally determined that it was a benign cyst after so many years. But this is after I opted out of brain surgery. So I met up with this one surgeon at Stanford, and he was like, you know, very pompous dude and, you know, super wealthy, you can just tell, and like... Mm. And like his attitude was was like, yeah, we do sixteen hundred brain surgeries a year, and you're going to be six the sixteen hundred and one. Like you know, just a very matter of fact, very cocky, you know, expensive suit. I just didn't feel right. No. I was like, man, this guy. And so I, I brought up my like my pineal gland. I had just read a book. It was called um, DMT, the Spirit Molecule, and it talked all about how the pineal gland is so important to like the functions of our body like our sleep imp- our sleep patterns like just so many different things yeah after reading that and be- being sat there with him i was like hey so what are you going to do about since the the tumor is right above my pineal gland what are you going to do about that he's like oh you know and this is the straw that broke the camel's back he's like you know we'll, we'll just we'll just take it out it's pretty much your pineal glands like your uh like your tailbone it, there's no no purpose for it and i was like oh you, you said the wrong thing bro so I opted out of the surgery and didn't go back for a few years. Then when I finally went back, they kept they kept wanting me to go back because they were concerned, you know, and mm. I really appreciate that. So then we did more tests, and then they determined that it was a benign cyst, but it's still very dangerous, the location of it. Like, it can mess up a lot of stuff. And I, I do notice sometimes, like, a, like, weird, like, mood swings. And, like, I ha- so I stopped eating sugar, oh. and that really helps, like... To keep it small like in sugar feeds it and makes it like grow rapidly you know uh-huh. so luckily it's, it wasn't cancerous and uh yeah my mom and she had the same thing when i was younger and had like a very invasive surgery you know lost all of her hair because of all the radiation mm-hmm. which was gnarly my mom you know had you know, such a beautiful lady had such a a big beautiful full head of hair when she was younger you know, my dad, my grandfather is German. My, my mom, my grandmother is Ethiopian. Wow. And, you know, she just had, she was a great combination, beautiful head of hair. And that fucking, she lost that. It was really hard for her being a woman, young woman. Sure. You know, and like having to go through that. And then, you know, you have a hole in the back of your head. They like cut her skull out. This is in the 70s. So it was very invasive. Uh-huh. So that was, you know, that my mom, she dealt with a lot just around that stuff. Yeah. And so they, you know, we thought it might have been hereditary, but, you know, it's hard to tell. Fuck. 
Let's take a quick time out, hear from some of our peeps, and we'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You are like one of the most like positive, happy-going person. You're always smiling. Like, what do you attribute that to? I I attribute that like my my attitude, my personality to my mom. Like, so I when I lived in Oakland, I lived with my dad and his his lady and and her kids. Mm-hmm. So I have like you know I have half stepbrothers. And so we you know we grew up in the typical Oakland environment. You know, it's like a little neighborhood. It felt like the South. A lot of church going black folks and you know and it was before all the the thuggery of oakland now so it was very positive but very like you know contained to your little neighborhood right so when i came to sf my mom when i turned three my mom came out the closet and said that she was gay it's still a taboo topic to my with my dad like he was they were high school sweethearts yeah she left him he was broken hearted Still kind of weird to even talk about it till this day. Uh-huh. And so my mom, she freaking, you know, moved to the city, you know, found a girlfriend. And uh, after her surgeries and stuff, after after she healed from the brain tumor, she was like, you know, I want my son to come live with me out here. And I, I was more than happy to, you know, like my dad, he he's awesome, amazing man. Like, but at the time he was so busy, like working and, you know, always uh, jogging or riding his bike. He was, you know, he had a ton of friends, so he was very social. Yeah. So I just spent a lot of time with my my stepmom and uh, and her children, uh-huh. and, which was, you know, so different. I, I just had like a different outlook because my mom. So when I moved to the city to answer your question, my mom, like she was such like a hippie and so open minded. And that's what was attractive to my dad. He was like, yeah, she was. A, they went to Oakland High. I met there. Oh, He's like, yeah, she would walk around in her sandals. And he was like, she was the only black hippie that I ever saw. And I loved that. So she was, you know, very open-minded. She had tons of, like, white friends, black friends, you know, guys, girls, gay friends, you know, whatever. Just, like, everybody. And everybody was so fucking cool to me, you know, because everybody was, they were different. You're, they're unique. Yeah. And, like, my mom would go around the, around the city. She knew so many people. We'd just take the bus around. And she would say hi to everybody. They'd say hi to her. She talk would talk to homeless people they knew her uh she knew them you know she'd get their backstory and she taught me early on like not to judge a book by by its cover they were all you know god's children whatever like not to like ever look down on somebody and just be joyful and just having that instilled in me from an early age is to you know to like appreciate and you know talk to your fellow your fellow man your fellow Mm -hmm. woman whatever It, it was uh very eye-opening so yeah like my my personality like my demeanor like i attribute it to her and also like when i turned 19 i really started branching out reading certain books that opened my mind up to like really like really appreciate life and nature and uh just like the present moment Mm. you know because it's uh you can never go back you can never go forward we only live in the present and that's why it's such a gift and that's why they call it the present. So mm. just being aware of, of such things like that. And I just like to smile, you know. Do you uh, do any meditating? I used to uh-huh. a lot. 
especially like 19, like early, early 20s. I was really into that stuff. I was really into like Tibetan Buddhism. And uh, that's the that's around the time I stopped eating, you know, eating meat. And I started becoming like vegetarian and vegan, you know, changing one thing at a time. Like I started, you know, switched from Crest toothpaste to like fluoride free toothpaste. And, you know, instead of like the your typical soap to like healthier soap for the body than lotion this and paying more attention yeah exactly but it was like one by one you know but then it's funny because i was a vegan for seven years but bro i was the worst vegan ever <laughs> i only ate vegan treats and soy products no veggies rarely ate veggies oh. and it was just like you know if it said vegan on it i thought it was healthy but it, <laughs> you know that was not it so you're not vegan to this day no no i actually i eat um i'm a pescatarian so i eat fish I uh-huh. eat cheese, I eat eggs, I do all that stuff. But I just don't, don't eat red meat, no chicken, mm. and no turkey. But, you know, sometimes, like, I'll have a little slice for to please my mom at, um, at Thanksgiving. <laughs> Out of all those books you read and stuff, if, if some kid's trying to get into, you know, living a better life and stuff, what is there one that stands out or a couple that stand out that you would recommend, like, you should read this, it'll really change your outlook on things? Absolutely. The Celestine Prophecy was one okay but i would recommend that like kind of down the road mm. but the one that really started my, my my process was uh the way of the peaceful warrior by dan millman mm. you know what really related to me was he is the fact that he was a, a gymnast and all of the things that he talks about you know that, that he uh talks about when it comes to gymnastics i related it to skating mm-hmm. you know so that book was awesome i love that book uh living in the light was another one that really opened my eyes up and, you know, like um, the Alchemist, that's really good for a lot of people, too. Yeah. But it was mainly like um, the Celestine Prophecy, the Way of the Peaceful Warrior, and Living in the Light. You read a lot? Yeah, I do. Like, one thing that's funny because, uh, you know, social media, like, it grabs your attention. So I went through a, you know, good five years where I didn't really read many books. And also, like, smoking weed. Yeah. Like, if when I don't smoke, I read a lot. Oh. So, like, not smoking helps me, like... Focus. Instead of like, you know, at nighttime taking a puff of the joint. Yeah. You know, I go through through waves. You know, I'll do that. And it, but if I don't do that, I just read 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 read. So the last book I read was Shoe Dog, Phil Knight's memoirs, the the creator oh, of Nike. Nike. Yeah. And that book was freaking eye-opening, incredibly eye-opening. Huh. And a great story. Uh, I love that book. You know, and I'm not even the biggest fan of the fan of the brand, you know, but that learning their story was it was really important now i'm reading um sneaker wars okay and that's the story of uh, adidas and puma no way you know so that's you know really important to me because i I'm, i work with adidas sure i love i've always loved the brand mm-hmm. it was really important for me to learn the story you know of the brand so but before that the book that really got me back into reading was uh, a book called deep work deep work such a good book I recommend it to anybody, especially if you're like feeling sluggish or you're, you're, you have a lack of motivation. Yeah. This book really kicks your ass and gets you back to where you need to be. Okay. Like, yeah, this book was the one that was a catalyst to like get me back on my board, like fully not, um, not, you know, eating less sugar. I lost a lot of weight uh-huh. and it really just made me prioritize like what's important to me. So yeah, deep work. That's a good one. Check it out. I think I'm gonna put that on on deck for me. Do, do you, when you read, do you read books or do you read uh, like off a of Kindle or do you do audio books or? Man, the you day do- I have to read off a of Kindle, bro, it's <laughs> gonna be a very sad day. Yeah, you know, I, and I don't hate on anybody that does it, but man, I like a tangible book. A tangible. I book. I have a huge library at the house. Oh yeah. I love the book. I love the smell of it. I love how you do the 
uh-huh. the rabbit ears. Yeah. You know, the Kindle, it just seems so bland to me. Weird about like, you know, digital content because mm-hmm. I feel like they can alter whatever they want at any time when it comes. Not And they is very vague, you know, in quotes, <laughs> they. Yeah. You know, I, I just, I trust the, a book more than a sure. digital format of a book because I feel like the content is going to be more original and you, you know you can't tamper with it yeah i've been doing the audiobooks in the car like when i drive like to la or something it's kind of sick you can have like eight hours in the car it's almost like listening to a podcast but you just listen to a book i need to do that yeah it's pretty cool and and you can get certain books have like epic readers like daniel day lewis is reading this one or whatever you know yeah i need to get more involved in that because yeah i sit in traffic a ton so yeah like that so. kind of stuff but <clears throat> that's a perfect segue though to your book oh yeah man yeah man yes first skateboard my first skateboard bro mm-hmm. that is the best trick i've ever done how Putting that book out how did it come about how long were you thinking about doing it like let's hear it. well it came like like honestly like being hungry and being like you know forced to, to think of things uh, you know ways to survive is it's it's important like when all these young men you know i just want to like let you guys know when you're down and out and when you're like struggling to make it, you know, the, the ideas like really dig deep and find ways out of it because the ideas that you come up with during that time can be golden because you're, you're, you're hungry. You really want it, you know? So when I came up with uh, the idea to, to um, write my first skateboard, it wasn't because I wanted money. It was because I felt like skateboarding was going in a, like a different direction with the Olympics. Yeah. And I felt like, uh, the camaraderie was slipping away. So it was, it came at a time when, um, you know, after Organica, I was kind of, uh, in a weird position. Uh, you know, I was working for this, uh, closet designing company. So I was very busy with that, mm-hmm. going to all these rich folks houses, building out their closets and, uh, you know, making, making them very happy. I loved the job coming back into skating was, you know, I, I never left in my mind but you know i had to find work outside of skating pay the bills and i was not uh, you know i wasn't wasn't afraid of that at all because you know i have kids and you gotta you gotta you gotta do what you gotta do absolutely so uh, during that time i was like man how can i create something that embodies everything that i've gained from skating i just wrote down all the things that i've i benefited that benefited me that benefited my friends in skateboarding and then i just had these key attributes written down and in my mind then after that, the story came so easy because it was like I knew what I wanted to write about. I knew what I had gained and I really wanted to point these certain things out to share with the world just in case I couldn't continue to share myself. Yeah. You know. So was it a pretty quick process once you kind of had it uh, laid out? Hell no, man. So, <laughs> so the first thing is my first skateboard started off as a screenplay because I was like studying how to write screenplays at the time. And like oh. so it started off as a screenplay. And the story itself was way longer. Yeah, I, I you know hit up Henry Henry Jones, the illustrator. Mm-hmm. It's like, man, like let's let's I, w- I want you to illustrate this book. So he 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 sat on it for about a good eight months, and he's like, man, he didn't know how to tell me, but he finally told me he's like, yeah, Carl, there's too much dialogue, like I I can't illustrate this. So I was like, you know what? Thanks for letting me know. Let me go back to the the drawing board. Let me simplify it. And I read the story, went and and created it page by page. You know, like. It was way easier to do this. But then after that, you know, it took about a good year for it to come out because I was trying to find publishers. Nobody was biting. I was telling my stories like, yeah, you know, pro skater, like I've been skating for ever since I was a kid. You know, there's 
there's something here and not just because of who i am but just the story was good sure. you know what i felt like it would resonate with a lot of skaters it would get people more into skating too yeah at, you know at a young age so i was like man after getting turned down you know one after another getting a run run around i was like you know what f it i'm gonna save the money and i'm gonna self-publish myself oh so i saved the money i i think i bought like three thousand copies and man when i released that it, w- it went off like wildfire yeah. it was insane support. i did not think i was gonna get the support from the core that i did and still to this day i'm getting like because you know the main characters have helmets you know it's a kid's book like i didn't think like quote-unquote real skaters yeah. were gonna appreciate it but i got the appreciation from everybody you know all walks of life oh, so, so like, cool yeah we it. just bought like four of them in austin at uh no comply that's so sick <laughs> man yeah elias there man no comply shout out he's a legend he's one of the guys that really like killed it at, at pier seven back in the day mm. one trick that comes to mind um, that he did up the block was switch front blunt switch shove it out yep that was that was mind-blowing at the time that was so ahead of the curve like mm. yeah elias kill it dog elias, <laughs> shit. thanks for the support on the book too appreciate it shout out talk about the illustrator oh henry jones man yeah for those yeah. that don't know Henry Jones is a unique guy. Like, he's from the East Coast. He's, uh, you know, very educated dude, super quiet, and, uh, you know, really easy to work with. And so I, I saw a piece of about him on the barracks, and I just, like, you know, gave, like, a little backstory about him. And I was like, dude, I really like this guy. So I hit him up. Was he doing skateboard graphics? He had, at that point he had done something for like Escape Mafia. Yeah, was so, Kramer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I should have known that. I, I, did, I did the symbol, guys. Yeah, he had done something for them. Uh-huh. But yeah, I think my first skateboard has been is like the biggest one that paid off for him. You know, he got a good deal. Mm. I take care of him. Rad. He's happy. Sick. Where can people um, like obviously at skate shops at the good ones they probably have them, but if they want to get them like online or something. Is there a website or something? Or yeah, you can go to myfirstskateboardthebook.com, and uh, we ship a- around the whole world. We have b- books in English and Spanish, and we also have mini decks for uh, the the new up and coming rippers in your family. Rad. And yeah, you know, right now at, at the moment though, we're working on a, a cartoon series based off the book. Huh. So we hope to, you know, have that shown to the world within a couple of years. Fuck, that's sick. So you think you'll do another book at some point? You know, I want to do another book, but I don't know if it's going to be uh, rooted in skating. Uh-huh. I just don't want to double dip. I feel like this is this got my point across. Yeah. You know, and it really um, embodies everything that I wanted to share about how um, how skating can benefit one's life. Mm-hmm. So I think my my next book is um, I might write it. it it's called, like on something on symbiosis. Okay. So we can be more aware of like how important symbiotic relationships are in nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have that all in my head. So. Do you think that you learned a lot from doing the first one that the second book would be a lot easier? Oof, definitely. I learned a lot about Photoshop, I'll tell you that. Oh, yeah. I learned a lot about <laughs> formatting. I learned a lot about dealing with your your printer out in China or Hong Kong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I learned a lot during that process. It was all me, you know, aside from Henry doing the drawings. Yeah. He didn't really know how to do any of the stuff, like the formatting, mm. the, uh, the Photoshop himself, but yeah. I did it all. I can't believe, like, it came out so good, honestly. Dude, yeah, it's sick. Yeah, like I said, we got a few, and anytime it's, like, some kid's birthday or something, we, like, we know the present. We're getting, getting another That's book. so right. Yeah, Thank absolutely, you, for sure. You're awesome, dog. <laughs> what, what's up with Max Allure? Oh, Max Allure is uh, it's a brand that uh, me and uh, Nick Lockman, 
my childhood friend, yeah. the person that got me into skating, started. Uh, so after he left, uh, you know, left DGK, he was kind of in limbo, still wanted to work in skating. So we started Max Allure. And uh, it was only natural to put guys on that were that were kind of a part of our story. So Nick got us, got me into skating. Mm-hmm. You know, he introduced me to the world of skating. I got Tafari his first board when he was four years old. Then in turn, Tafari got Little Dre his first board when he was like seven. Whoa. Then then when it came, comes to Jonathan Perez, I had I was living in Richmond at the time, and uh, I saw him and his homie at a bus stop i was going to pick my son up at, from school and they had some janky boards you know and i looped around went to the house got some good stuff for him some real boards uh-huh. and i was like i hope they're still at the bus stop i hope they are and they were hooked them up Sick. let them know where i lived at he was only 12 at the time then you know we started hanging out more brought him on you know a couple shoots yeah and the kid just progressed so fast so much. started giving him organica boards yeah, I mean, fucking now he's he's on Max Allure. He's, you know, soon to be pro for sure. Rad. It's a, you know, it's a continuation of uh, the legacy of skating in San Francisco and the Bay Area. And, like, you know, it's, it's truly a, fa- a family. In one way or another, you've raised those kids. I've seen them at every stage of their life in your car or at a skate spot. Like, Lil Dre, for sure, is the phenom, like holy shit remember that day we were like doing the firecrackers and he was like super little up at the city college he was going down those stairs and he's like hey film this and and it was like me you chico i forget and why my, we're my, there and my son was there Jaya yeah, was and there. Son, yeah. You, you did the no complies yeah. i remember that day yeah and, and then like he's grown he's getting oh, taller yeah. and he's just mad smooth. power he's got the sickest style like greatest trick selection yeah it's like but i think if you asked him, he'd be like, yeah, Carl. He probably wouldn't say that. <laughs> you know, I think he's going to realize, like, when he gets a little bit older. He, I mean, he definitely gives me props, gives me love, you know, and, the, you know, a lot of respect for sure. Mm. Like, it's funny, around that time, like, him and my oldest son, Elon, they be, they became best friends. Mm. And, like, that's when the rat tail started, you know, it disappeared. That's when he started, like, dressing more with, like, fashion. Yeah. Because my son was kind of into that. He gave Dre his first, like, I don't even know what the name of it. Some fancy sweater. Then Dre just became a, a fashion icon. A fashion icon. You know, but he would stay at my house every weekend. You know, me and his father are hella cool. Dre's father and I have the same exact birthday. Wow. And he's like this thug Asian dude from fucking <laughs> the TL. Damn. Full on me. He's like, he's no joke. Really? But it's still a hella cool guy, but he's not someone to be messed with. And Dre gets his uh, toughness from his pops and his brothers. Like, I mean, it really crossed over. Uh, and so Dre is definitely a, he's an alpha male for yeah. sure. He may be small, maybe, you know, still young, but that kid is, <laughs> you know, I look, I go to him for advice for certain things, you know, especially when it comes to graphics and uh. like, so yeah, Dre's part owner. Oh, um, I'm part owner. Nick is part owner and Tafari. Oh, nice. so, you know, I included them in the deal. Yep. And, um, you know, now we're, we're, we're about to release our uh, double rock. We have uh, a, a little edit coming out. Got a name picked out. Pretty stoked in that. Okay. It's uh, the, the Greek goddess for protection. And the reason why I, I picked the name is because uh, skateboarding is going, going through a lot of flux right now. You know, we've been hit with a lot of traumatic experiences. Mm-hmm. And um, for a long time, I felt like skating was, was immune to what we've been experiencing. So, like, I, I really felt like it's time to, like, kind of 
send a blessing to skateboarding again, like in my weird way. So Soteria is uh, the name of the Greek goddess of protection. Mm. And it's like, you know, so when you usher in that, that, that Greek goddess, Soteria, it like sends uh, the spirit of protection to, to all. And so by calling our, our video that, all the guys that mess with the two, I'm, you know, subconsciously I'm sending that the spirit of protection to the community of skateboarders as a whole so we can, you know, s stop, you know, experiencing what we have been and hopefully we can have that same, you know, nice run, you know, decade-long run where nobody gets hurt, yeah. nobody's freaking dying, you know what I'm saying, getting hit by cars, like, because we deserve it. And um, I remember that time. So, you know, I, I think it takes somebody that experienced it, you know, our, that immunity to all these disasters to um, usher it back in and get behind me guys we, we, we need uh this the spirit of soteria to um to go through the veins of skateboarders yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. so yeah that's the name of the video and i like it definitely you know because of uh my deep roots in skating and the love i have for all skateboarders and uh how much i want to see us you know be protected and always see us on top you know when's that gonna drop you know, I would say late later on this year. I can't give a solid date, but definitely later on this year. The guys are killing it. The footage is amazing. Right. And I'm uh, just really proud of them, you know. And, you know, everybody's just taking ownership, which mm -hmm. is great. We have a great team, you know. And uh, I, I can't wait to share it with the world. Sick, yeah. I look for that. Got to mention Ron Allen because I interviewed Ron a little while ago, and he was so stoked that you had sent him some shoes. No. He was like, Carl Watson sent me shoes, and like he was just hyped. And I was like, well, I'm going to be talking to Carl soon, and I just got to get your, uh, like, what's Ron Allen mean to you? That's crazy that Ron Allen <laughs> is happy that I sent him shoes because, I mean, it's such an honor for me to do that. You know, like, growing up, he wasn't like a Ray Barbie to me. Like, Ray Barbie was always on a pedestal, him and Tommy. Yeah. For sure. But Ron Allen was a from the, the East Bay. I mean, pretty much he was a huge inspiration to me when it came to, like, starting your own company, being an African-American male. Right. Starting your own company and skating. Like, he really showed me that, hey, I can do this. And I can have people of all different colors on my team. And, yeah. you know, and it doesn't matter. We're skateboarders, you know. Mm. So, Ron Allen, bro, 8th Street, fuck. <laughs> You know, I, one thing I rem remember from him, he's like, yeah, back in those days, I was bringing in like 10K a month off of board sales. And that really, that always sat with me. I was like, man, that brother <laughs> doing really did it. Yeah. You know, he, it wasn't just like he was a, a, an average skater. He really was making money off of it. But you know, he made yeah. the music too. Like yeah, he, he, he had a lot of, after I talked to him, I was like, dude, you you did it like you were like just as big as Ternansky. like you did all this other stuff like it was exactly it was pretty important what he did and yeah you know those early days i can't even imagine the flack that chuck mm -hmm. and ron had to face mm -hmm. from their own community right like because it was gnarly being a black skater growing up and then other you know people in my the african-american community just like give me so much flack for skating it was insane but the beautiful thing about it and I don't know if all African-American skaters can relate to me. You know, I definitely from my era, my area, you know, like growing up in the Bay Area, San Francisco. Like, that's that's why, like, man, honestly, like, I was embraced so much by, by white folks, mm -hmm. you know, and, like, other people of other nationalities because they didn't have that same, you know, chip on, I hate to say, like, chip on your shoulder about, like, you know, the whole race situation and stuff like that. They were more, like, uh, welcoming, you know. 
Like, yeah, I love all people, you know, but I just can't imagine what they had to face back then being black skaters. Have you been paying attention to any of the ladies? Are you kidding me, mate? What? Dude. That's crazy. Paul Shire's computer just got stolen out of Chico Bernays' car. That's crazy. Hold on, guys. Break. Yep. And now for another First Impressions with Timothy Donald McKenney. First impressions of the San Francisco legend Carl Watson. I can't believe I even get to do this right now. My first impression of Carl Watson is my first impression of San Francisco. Taking the train, the queer freedom rider train from Golden Gate Park with uh, Justin Schnee, maybe 10, 9 years old. Taking that up and getting off and there Carl Watson in with his buddy Jason. I think it was Jason. A couple years later, I ask him, does your buddy still skate? He says, no, he don't skate no more. They both ripped. We're sitting in a parking garage, skating, doing no compliance, kickflips. I remember the yellow on the curbs. I remember just Carl ripping. And then I think we went to EMB. I think we ended up at EMB. But my first impression of Carl, it's San Francisco. My first impression of San Francisco. Dead ass. Shut up, I'm busy. Hey, it's Corey at Blue Plate, 3218 Mission Street. Come see us. Meatloaf, fried chicken, deviled eggs, Dollar Olympia beers. We're here every day of the week. We got a garden and we got smiles on our faces. Come let us make you happy. This is Ron Allen and you are listening to Talking Schmidt. Shit, that was crazy. Fucking Paul Shire's laptop just got broken into and Chico's car, which was right next to us. But I'm guaranteeing it happened before I got here. I would have seen the dude. We'd have seen that. We'd have chased him down. Yeah. Just them noogies until they gave us the computer back. (laughs) Anybody coming to SF, don't leave anything visible in your car ever. It just isn't worth it. There, it. If you have to carry it into the restaurant with you, whatever you have to do, do it because there are people that will just gank shit no matter where you are. It's insane. Now, I was just wondering if there's any girls out there that have been uh, peeking, like you've been checking out that are ripping because they're making such a movement right now too that like the women skating is definitely growing and there's like legitimate chicks out there killing it and... Who sticks out to you? Well, for one, I just want to point out that I've always been an advocate of female skateboarding mm-hmm. ever since the EMB days when they would get heckled like crazy, like do a lip slide, you know, whatever, you know, just some corny stuff. But I've always loved the fact that ladies were interested in skating. And now that they're finally being accepted and they're, they're, they're rising, they're ripping, they're fucking styling, they're getting good contracts, making money. It is like a blessing, bro, especially coming from a, a family where my mom's a lesbian. And yeah. you know, so I kind of have that, you know, I, I pump the fist for the ladies. Oh, you know, <laughs> you know, in my, you know, not not outwardly, but, you know, whatever. Like, sure. So I think uh, like Alexis Sablone definitely have always been a fan of her. Mm. She's, she's unique. She's smart. She's one of a kind. She has a lot of heart, bro. I've seen her take some falls, knock her tooth out, get back up and do the trick. You know, like the the girl is no joke. And there's a number of amazing late young ladies. Uh, Nora, for example, she's amazing. I love them all. Sick. Well, we got to wrap this up. Uh, Fuck, I just want to give you a big shout out. Thank you so much for spending the time. Um, 
Thank you, Schmitty. It's been an honor to have you in here, have you on my podcast. Worlds collide, but it's all for the love, skateboarding. Um, I've been a big fan of yours, and I just really appreciate you. Thank you, Schmitty. I'm honored to be on your show, straight up. This has been a great conversation, and I, I look forward to doing more with you in the future. Yeah. Um, Let's go film some lines. Yeah, we got to film some lines. I, that's what we've been working on. We got to film a fire line. Let's get it. Let's <laughs> get it. All right. Uh, Watch out for the uh, Max Allure video later this year. If you are smart, you'll go out and buy at least five of his books and uh, keep your eye out because we're out here doing it. So you're going to see us one way or the other. Uh, SFC represent. Yeah, baby. Big love, SF everybody. Natives. We'll talk to you next week. Peace. In this world of calamity, dirty looks and grudges and jealousy. And police where you abuse them authority Me the clowns when I know about variety Boom, the youngest veteran I go murder them slow Rock a muffin sent to call me from the bush bungalow When I watch it make a clear out my voice now figure out Emerge from the darkness with me big blood to glow Me yama them a slam and spectator get low Some boy could a big like bam bam figure low Bust off trigger finger trigger end and trigger toe A two gun me and me bust them in a stereo Cause I got to keep on walking
doubt, a doubt Don't make them take you like who them took out Cha will be waiting there, we a shout Cha will be waiting there In this world of calamity Dirty looks and grudges and jealousy And police where you abuse them as a routine Media accounts when no know about variety Single parents when need some charity Youths when need some love and prosperity Instead of broken dreams and tragedy By any plan and any means and strategy Instead of broken dreams and tragedy Youths when need some love and prosperity Instead of broken dreams and tragedy By any plan and any means and any strategy Hey, say you got to keep on walking on the road to Zion, man. You know, you got to keep on walking on the road to Zion, man. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talkin' Schmidt. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. When you subscribe, you'll get notifications every Tuesday of new episodes the minute they become available. Also, please leave reviews and a five-star rating. It's the best way to help the show grow up them charts. All the episodes will always remain free to my listeners, but if you'd like to help support the show, you can do so at our website, TalkinSchmidt.com, where you can pick up some merchandise like stickers, beanies, t-shirts, or hats. The website has an entire archive of all the episodes with extra photos and video. You can also email me with any concerns, questions, suggestions, comments, etc. at TalkinSchmidt.com at gmail.com. That's Schmidt, T-A-L-K-I-N-S-C-H-M-I-T at gmail.com. All interviews are conducted, edited, and produced by me, Schmitty. The intro music is Mary's Cross by the band Nature, and a special shout-out goes to my executive director, Cheryl Camisa. Shout-out. Until next week, this is Talkin' Schmidt, where the Rolodex is deep, but the conversation is deeper. Talkin' Schmidt, Talkin' Schmidt, Talkin' Schmidt. <laughs>